audio conversation recorded on Friday, July 3rd, 2009 with Christopher Knowles. Hello? Hello, Chris, this is Mike Clellan. Yeah, hi, can you hear me okay? I hear you great. Let me just turn one thing down here. The stuff I wanted to talk about was just uh, sort of the, you know, pretty relevant to the stuff that's been on your blog lately, so... Um, okay. Uh, here, I'll just go ahead and start. Okay, so you were gonna you were gonna transcribe all of this? It depends how long it is. I just have a couple questions to ask. So so I okay. I've been looking at your blog for a while, and I've and I've been reading it for now over a year. I know. Um, it sounds like you're working to define some mythic undercurrent that's that's in like our present day society, and you, you put a big focus on the pop culture aspect. I'm just curious what you're finding. Um, and just, just more, just more and more questions, and more and more, just unsolvable dilemmas. The scope of questions is just expanding, basically. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm really uh, getting close to answering anything right now. It's just. <laughs> Does that make any sense? It makes perfect sense. You have no idea how perfect that makes sense. Um, uh, so, what are the questions? Um, well, basically, it all really started for me, at least this aspect of my work, started sometime around 2003, 2004. And what happened is that I started working on a book, and I was just really interested in sort of Gnostic themes in pop culture. And insofar as that uh, pop culture was actually... You know, show us, showing us gnosis in action, that, that these characters knew these unusual or extreme or supernatural or occult realities, and we are sort of vicariously living these realities through them uh, on these programs and these films and things like that. And so basically what I started to do was just really take all this information on its own terms, really look at it. Uh, as it is, and, and not try to um, add a lot of uh, interpretation and things like that, because uh, the problem is with this kind of work is that one thing I've noticed is that a lot of people sort of go in knowing what they, the result that they want to reach. And that, and would, they be, sort of, that would be sort of the, the classic uh, no-no for any scientist or any researcher is to, to go in knowing what they want to find out at the end. Yeah, well, it's interesting, because I, I did sort of go in with this whole Gnostic thesis, and then basically what happened is that that whole thesis was just uh, dismantled as I was doing the actual research. I, I just was finding that, um, that yes, there is a lot of uh, classical Gnostic uh, theology in pop culture, you know, particularly, most interestingly, in the first Star Trek series, is just Gnostic as hell. I mean, there's just all these almost, uh, I would almost call it orthodox uh, types of um, themes uh, being put into that show. Uh, the great example of that is the return of the Archons. The Archons are straight from... Um, uh, from uh, Gnostic theology, and and really that whole um, episode was really just um, a very kind of Gnostic critique in of which, orthodox. And which one is that? Is that the Return of the Archons? No, no. Which episode is it? Just describe it because I'm I've seen all uh, the Star Trek episodes. 
Well, it's the episode where they go, they beam down to this planet that's this sort of cult, and it's the Red Hour, and it's sort of like an ancient, not ancient, but, uh, you know, it's like sort of a cowboy town, but it's run by this computer. Um, Is that the one where they have to they uh, they they uh, they have to not believe that they're going to get shot, and they basically have the gunfight at the OK Corral? No, no, no. This is the one where um, there's a sort of cult that uh, that controls this town, and they they have these sort of monks that go around wearing um, hoods and everything like that. But basically, oh, yes, they are. Yes, I know. I know exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and McCoy is sort of converted to this whole cult. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is that there are these themes. Most obviously, um, The Matrix is the sort of the classic example of this. But then again, there's this whole other undercurrent of, um, you know, basically what I call the uh, the solar religion, this 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 uh, theology that sort of um, hewed very closely to uh, ancient sun worship and and sort of you know had this lineage. Th- you know, from Freemasonry, from uh, the Knights Templar, um, from the Mithraic uh, cults, uh, this sort of reverse uh, trajectory. Uh, and then I've, I've written a lot about this on my blog, and I wrote a lot about the, the, the group, um, the Egyptian sun cult called the Semshu Hor. And uh, basically what I, when I, I it's, it's so funny because when I was doing this book, Doing this project, I wasn't looking for any of this. I was, I was really looking for Gnostic uh, ideas. And this, the book, is the, is the Our Gods Were Spandex? No, no, no. Well, um, Our Gods Were Spandex is, um, was another concurrent project. Um, uh, that was a project that sort of grew out of this. Um, but, uh, you know, actually, well, actually, you know, in, in some ways it all sort of, it was basically, it split off from the book that all these uh, ideas were sort of put together in one project, and then I basically had to split it up because it was just too huge. So basically, yes, I mean, our, our Gods with Spandex did come from this. And is there a book in the works that hasn't been published? Well, yeah, I mean, there is a book written, um, you know, that I've mentioned in some of my other interviews and stuff like that. But the uh, the problem is with it is that I, I really need to go back and rewrite it, um, that there are just a lot of, things in, in inside the book that I, I just I'm not comfortable with as they stand I I've done so much research uh, in the interim that I don't really um, not necessarily sure how to put this but I, I just you know the scope is expanded and and I just have a lot more information that I would want to put in I'd want to clarify things and I'd want to sort of you know, uh, put a different uh, spin on things than, than maybe what I had done in the book. So anyhow, um, and now and now I'm working on another book, uh, uh, a book that's going to be well, it's due in November. It's going to be coming out in May of next year. So uh, and, and what's and the topic of that one? That's going to be on rock and roll. It's basically going to be sort of our gods or spandex in the rock and roll field. So oh, good, good, because that, that's something that's like a undercurrent that I've caught or that I've, you know, uh, stumbled on your stuff, and, and that was originally how I, I stumbled on uh, to it, just your your rock music um, writings. And then I realized yeah, there was I, all this other stuff, and, and this concurrent stuff about uh, comic books and pop culture. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd actually like to do... Um, I don't know, it's interesting. Like, I, I was doing a lot of the rock stuff, but I don't think people really were as interested in that stuff. Uh, you know, the... 
people didn't respond as well to that stuff as, as to the movie, the movie information. So I kind of, I don't know, I just, you know, but I'm still really interested in it. And it really ties into these ancient mystery cults and things like that. So, so well, here's, here's, I'm going to read you a question that I had written down. I'm going to read it straight from what I have written here. Um, so, um, and this is this is ties into the movie stuff, which I've just been fascinated by. That was my college and major. I was a film uh, a film major in college, and uh, promptly dropped out after my freshman year. But uh, I did spend ten years in New York watching a lot of movies uh, back before um, VCRs. So, uh, here's my question: So, do you think there are a bunch of Hollywood scriptwriters sitting around a conference table saying, you know, let's find a heavy-handed uh, bunch of mythological imagery and sneak it into this corny movie? Um, it seems like you're finding that in your stuff, and or is it something stranger? Is this stuff just welling up from some, some hidden place? You know what? I don't know. I really don't know. It's it's so hard. Like Kevin actually, you know, written scripts and stuff. It's so hard to imagine that they're sitting there going, okay, well, let's sort of make it a story and make it work as a story, and then we'll just, you know, we'll have to hit all these certain bases and put all these different themes, and it just it becomes very untenable. I mean, it, it's very uh, obvious in a movie like. Like the original Star Wars, where where the where the you know they they're sort of shameless and stealing right from Joseph Campbell, but um, yeah, well that's that's different though. I mean that's that's so obviously the way that's structured, you, you obviously realize that there is this whole sort of agenda, this sort of uh, pantheistic agenda that's being put put across in this film. Um, uh, you know, I, you know it's it's so hard for me to say because I know I've you know, done projects where several months or years later, I will go back and look at it and go, oh, well, this was, you know, incorporating this. And, you know, people have these influences that they soak up and that you go back and you sort of realize that you are sort of processing this. Or you're trying to, you know, incorporate this theme or this myth or this symbol into your work. So, you know, it's very hard to say. Um, there, there are some things... Uh, that just seem impossible to imagine that they're, they're not intentional. I, I just did this uh, this uh, posting on the uh, John Cusack film um, Pushing Tin. Yeah, and, and, and I and I just read that, and that was exactly what I was. That was exactly the movie I was referencing. And I referred to it. I said, uh, you know, are they trying to sneak this imagery into a corny movie? I actually found that movie almost unwatchable. I, I, I and uh, when I and now I, I want to see it again just because you've pointed out all this stuff, but. Um, uh, yeah, it seemed just like a, it seemed kind of like a corny Hollywood, you know, schmaltzy movie. Yeah, well, it is, but at the same time, it's like they're note for note following the whole, you know, Egyptian myth mythic cycle. And you sit there and you, well, it's it, this is really interesting, and this is the great thing about doing the blog, is because a lot of times when I'm doing sort of this work on my own, you know, it, it's almost. You know, I really, the, the feedback is always great. The, the comments are always great. And it sort of spurs me on. Uh, you know, when I was doing the Pushing Tin thing, I started to think about why air traffic controllers? Why would you take this mythology and sort of graft it onto this story about air traffic controllers, if, if indeed this was done intentionally? Um, and then I started to realize, um, well, you know, Horus was the lord of the air. He, you know, he controlled, it, and the gods control everything in the sky. 
So it kind of makes perfect sense. So what's the, what's the missing link here? What's the missing link between the ancient gods and modern technology? And then you have to start to look at the UFO stuff. And the great thing about the UFO stuff, the thing that I really enjoy about it, you know, and it's funny because I'm not really quite sure where it's going. I'm not really quite sure what I'm doing with it. But it really makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, there, there, there's a, there are a lot of people out there. When you start to talk about UFOs and aliens and ancient <laughs> astronauts and stuff, they really get un, they really get uncomfortable. And it's it's fascinating to me because I'm so interested in psychology to sort of sort of parse like why is this upsetting to you? Why doesn't you know? Why don't you want to discuss this? Why is why is all this other crazy stuff on the table, all these other strange um, sort of concepts, but something that, to me, you know, is, is extreme possibility, but certainly not unimaginable by any stretch of the imagination. Why is that off the table? I'm really fascinated in, in the psychology of that. And it's interesting, because it almost sort of, like, I have this, this whole punk rock sort of contrarian streak in me, and that sort of uh, spurs me on to, to, to just go further and further in that direction. But the thing is, is that, I mean, one of the things that I found out for years and years, um, I didn't write about UFOs or any of that stuff at all. I mean, I wrote this entire book on sci-fi film without talking about UFOs or aliens or any of ancient astronauts or anything because I wasn't processing. I wasn't thinking about it. It was really only when I started to do the blog and I started to sort of expand the scope of what I was writing about that I started to, like, see these patterns just repeat themselves over and over again. Yeah. Now here, this is gonna. This is. Uh, I mean, this is sort of self-serving on my part, and and you just uh, talked about your interest in psychology, and and uh, and I, I have no idea why I gravitate so strongly to your blog, but I do, and um, <clears throat> I'm not sure how much you've read of my stuff that I've posted. I know it's, I've recognized you've read a few little things. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading it. Yeah. Um. So, this is something I'm. As far as like psychology, I'm wondering. This is I've actually I've had a hard three years like dealing with this, and I feel like I'm on the other end of that thing where people are uncomfortable talking about this stuff, and I'm sort of in a position where I'm like I'm dealing with stuff with memories that are coming up, and and uh, and actually I'm I'm making a big effort to look into this stuff. Uh, well, you, you were talking a lot about those people who are all born in your year. Yeah, you, you discovered that the people what was it 1962. Uh, between 1962 and 1960 is basically the, the the majority of the folks that I've I've met. Everyone seems to be my age or or a little older, um, within a year or two. And they've all so I've got five people that I've met so far that have uh, uh, a few of them have a dramatic UFO sighting in 1974, which I have. Uh, and then some of them. So you were 12. So I was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Uh, and uh, I think I don't know how much you know about me, but I, you know, I had a missing time event in in 1974, uh, mm-hmm. and so these other folks are talking about getting basically very obsessed about this subject, the same way that I've been getting very obsessed about this subject in the last three years, roughly. Uh, out of the five people that I've met, um, uh, four of them have either are working on documentaries right now or have already produced and finished a documentary on the UFO abduction phenomenon. Uh, they're between the ages of 46 and 48, and um, some of them have very heavy-handed memories of, of uh, abduction events, and some of them have very foggy, fleeting memories that may indicate 
something like that. And then some of them um, basically just say, you know, I've had this life of, of paranormal stuff, and the paranormal stuff has been increasing. And all of them, uh, without questions, talk about like an increase in synchronicity in the last three years. And that's mm-hmm. basically, and in, in, uh, and this, you know, a couple of them have talked about a, a deep need to come forward and talk about this stuff. Um, and that's the point of my blog in a strange way. I've gotten, I, I feel like I got this this need, this compulsion to come out that um that I don't quite understand. And it's all wrapped up in, you know, uh, synchronicities and dreams and and, um, and I seem to have this in common with these other folks. Well, it certainly seems that a lot of, you know, not necessarily what you're describing, you know, exclusively, but it just seems that, I don't know, there is something very strange in the air, it seems. It seems that there are a lot of... Uh, People sort of coming to like new understandings um, or just new realizations or just something's bothering them. I mean, it's just it, it seems to be a lot of it around. And uh, I mean, really, it's funny because I was reading this book um, called uh, The Gods of Aquarius, and it's this book by um, Brad Steiger, and it's very much like New Age UFO cult kind of stuff, and I just, I'm just fascinated by it as just a as a sort of a cultural phenomenon, but like kind of like what we're seeing now, there's almost like this sort of matter of fact aspect to evolve, to, you know, all these sort of things, and uh, you know, for instance, um, you know, one thing that I was discussing with my wife is that. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of really good, solid photographs and films of, of UFOs lately. Uh, but, the, you know, outside of a, a few sort of tabloid outlets, you know, they're not being covered. As, and then it's happening in a democratic way from the ground up in, in like something like um, YouTube, where it's just flooded with, with, with um, you know, strange UFO footage. And often look very at, consistent. Look. Look at the see this. This is what when when you talk about the psychology. Look at how people treat this. The people who don't want people to look at this, they use um, what are called psychological warfare tools. They use ridicule. Um, they use you know the the fake flaps, the confusion. Uh, we, you know we had one of those in Morristown where where something was being flown that was. Uh, you know I said this from the outset that that was military, but at the same time there were a couple hoaxers uh, flying balloons to sort of you know create this whole confusion. And I, you know, I actually talked to Jacques Vallée about this quite a bit when I was at Esalen. Um, so there are so many things going on. There are so many sightings. All over the world we have, you know, uh, sort of these sort of halting uh, attempts at disclosure and everything like that. But still, you know, uh, the, the, the dominant reaction from the establishment media is ridicule. And when you ridicule something, what you're trying to do is just basically destroy it. Um, you, you're trying to just stop all conversation. So when you when you look at people who are, uh, you know, coming at the UFO phenomenon from an attack position, uh, you can basically um, tell what they're after by the the, the approach they take. And uh, I think a lot of people are very nervous. I mean, the whole UFO phenomenon pick, makes a lot of people very nervous, and the people it makes nervous are people who feel like they they're in control somehow. And this can be anybody from people involved in ritual magic to people involved in depth psychology, transpersonal psychology, to people involved in the sciences. I mean, people who feel that their 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 perceived power 
is threatened by this, uh, you know, will react in a very strong way about it. And I'm not necessarily, uh, absolutely not saying that these people are involved in any sort of cover-up or conspiracy. It's just that they are very threatened by it. So even myself, where I'm sort of looking at all this phenomenon, almost from, uh, I don't want to say like a, uh, like an unbeliever or a disbeliever, but it's just like, I can't believe it. You know what I'm saying? That's basically what it is. It's like, oh my, it's like, I just can't believe it the way, it, uh, you know, how much is out there and, and, and how the establishment reacts to it. It's just, this is just incredible kind of, um, you know, uh, dissonance between the two. So that fascinates me. That really does. That fascinates me because that, that's very telling. And this and is it, something it, that, that, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Heineck said, you know, he said something to the effect of, you know, this is a, one of the rare phenomena that doesn't that, that actually has a wealth of, of evidence. And and uh, there's an enormous amount of evidence. And and the you know, the people who are dismissing it with contempt are saying that it's that there is no evidence and, and that just the opposite is true. Yeah. So the, it's, the it's very curious. The, yeah. Yeah. People see what it basically boils down to is that there are a lot of people who just want it to go away entirely. They don't want people to think about it. They don't <laughs> want people to look at it. And, and there's, a, there's a very, I think there's a very compelling reason for this because if in fact these are alien craft, if, if in fact these are extraterrestrials from an, a, a, you know, enormously advanced um, culture, society, or civilization, they don't care about us. They just don't. And uh, a lot of U UFO researchers will sort of point this out that, you know, the way they behave is just completely disregarding what we want and who we are. And, well, and, uh, and I'll tell you, there's an undercurrent in the in the UFO community, there's there's which is which is fractured and there's so many different uh, conflicting little subpopulations and little worlds within worlds within the UFO community. I've spent the last uh, few years, I've just immersed myself in, in this, and I've made an effort to go to UFO conventions and, and sit and talk with folks, and I've done some of my, you know, like some of my own research, uh, you know, driving around talking to witnesses. Um, but uh, I just lost my train of thought. Sorry. You're talking to witnesses doing conventions, things like that. Oh, and you were talking about, oh, just the fact, oh, here, so here's where I was going with this, is that, that um, there is this undercurrent of, of, uh, of they are here to help us. There's a, there's a and, it, and it has a kind of doughy-eyed kind of new age thing, which I find very uh, repellent, actually, uh, and I have a hard time with folks like that, and I've just I've made an effort to say, okay, these people are telling their story, let me just sit and listen to it. And, uh, but there is an undercurrent, and, well, less than an undercurrent, more like its own, its own subchapter of this whole phenomena. That is, uh, you, you know, people saying they're here to help us. They they care about us. They'll use words like they'll say they love us, and they tell this story like angels. They tell a very uh, angelic story, uh, where you know, uh, quite honestly, they're meeting beautiful blonde Nordics in togas, um, and uh, and talking about you know the the. It's it's uh, they're here to basically protect us from ourselves in a very dangerous time of our evolution and and you don't have to look you know all you have to do is look at the cover of any newspaper and, and realize that we are in a very dangerous time right now um, 
and, uh, and well, there could be something to that. I mean, here's the thing: like, I'm just fascinated by questions, and I'm fascinated by sort of this limitless supply of questions. And and that's the great thing about the UFO phenomenon is that it it really offers you just a whole set of unknown variables that you can just get lost in. And that, to me, is, is very interesting. What I think is very important, though, and I think it's very important for people involved in taking this this uh, phenomenon seriously, is to really, I, I think it's, it's almost incumbent on people to really keep a question mark at the end of all of this um, for, for a couple of reasons. One, to avoid, you know, getting caught in these sort of uh, utopian fantasies almost that, that you're describing. And then the other, the other thing is to, to, to take the onus, uh, to take the burden of proof off your own shoulders and put it on the people who are, who are opposing, you know, these questions even being asked. Uh, you know, when you make a definitive statement about anything, um, and you cannot back it up with real solid proof, you're just painting a target on your forehead. And I think it's just very important for people involved in any of these kind of subjects to um, to really uh, keep that sort of open questioning uh, attitude. You know, I find personally that when I don't try to put definitive labels on things, that I, that automatically opens me up for more information. And, and maybe that's the problem, you know, that like I was talking about with the blog, is that I'm constantly being bombarded with all this information. But I, I'm doing so because I'm not saying, you know, that this is this and, and you know, for instance, you know, maybe what you might see in a conspiracy site or on a UFO site or, or whoever. Um, you know, I, I don't want to really look at it this way because... Like I said, I had this really profound experience where I was looking for one thing, and then this other thing came up and just sort of bit me in the ass. And that, to me, was a great model to approach any kind of strange or unusual topic, that you, you stay open and you stay open to the possibility. Uh, you know, you can't accuse other people of having a closed mind when it comes to UFOs and stuff if, if you have one yourself if you know all the answers. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that's really fascinating to me is that, you know, I will say almost definitively that, I, I mean, I find the ancient astronaut stuff, you know, much more compelling than I do the modern stuff. But at the same time, uh, you know, there, there are so many strands of, of continuity between them that you really have to wonder. I mean, uh, Charles Fortin, 1919, basically came out and said he thinks that we were property. He thinks, you know, we were we were put here and, and that, you know, uh, ever since that we've been, uh, you know, under this control. I mean, and, and who knows? You see, the problem is that we're always going to sort of put our own uh, our own models on that. We're always going to sort of try and put our own descriptions of, of, of what we think that, is exactly and and they're constantly shifting as our technology shifts and as our culture shifts so like i said i, I really think that the most fruitful way to, to approach all of this is um is is to be questioning and, and I, 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 I find that you're gonna um enrich yourself with more information when you, you're not sitting there trying to defend a supposition yeah, and and this is coming straight from a personal thing. I'm not. I'm I'm actually immersed in this 
I'm confused right now with all this. I'm like, I'm completely shocked at how confusing this is. I've had coincidences and synchronicities that have um, taken place that are so overt and so striking and so strange that it's that's it's it's not just random chance. Um, and it and um, no, well, yeah, I mean, Jung Jung uh, basically devised the idea of synchronicity through a series of correspondences he had with Wolfgang Pauli who was, uh, you know, a physicist, you know, probably, the, the, you know, the, the most prominent physicist of his time. So, yeah, uh, synchronicity is, is definitely a real thing. Um, and and this, it's something... Uh, it, go ahead. Oh, this almost jumps back to, to the thing where, where, like, you know, is synchronicity, uh, you know, like the script writers writing a kind of a dumb, corny movie like Pushing Tin... Um, you know, is the synchronicity welling up? Is it some sort of form of synchronicity that's 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 um, that's seeding itself into their project unbeknownst to them? Uh, in in the same way that that uh, that um, you know, sitting around the campfire in in uh, when we had just climbed down from the trees, basically, we would have probably told stories that um, that would have had the same mythic elements in them. Well, that's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. Um, I I think again, uh, you know, how should I put this? There's a human, very human tendency to want to name and claim things, to want to be able to label certain phenomena and feel like they have some sort of control over it, and it's a very understandable thing. But at the same time, it sort of keeps us trapped in what I call the reptilian brain, you know, the, 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 the conscious attention, you know, the, 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 the limited part of the brain that controls our day-to-day -day activities and, and just sort of navigating our, our way through the world every day. You know, that's the, sort of the reptilian mind, the world of the senses, the world of measurement, of rationality. Um, you know, and that's a very important part of our consciousness. There's no doubt about it, but it's not all of it. It's not the sum total of, of our brain. It's not the sum total of our, our, the capacity of our biological mind. Uh, I think that there are so many more possibilities, um, outside of that. And, but the thing is, is you sort of, ha you have to speak that language. You have to sort of speak the language. And that's, it's interesting when, um, you can sort of, sort of, uh, there's, a, there's a tendency, I, I think Joseph Campbell was sort of the best um, example of this, where uh, he was part of this whole attempt to sort of um, lock all this information up and sort of and put it in a box and, and be able to tame it. And I, I think that's a, a very dangerous uh, impulse because not only does it, force you to dismiss reams and reams of evidence that don't fit into your paradigm, but it also gives you a false um, sense of, of power over something that you are, uh, you are not controlling. Uh, and, and mythology itself, um, where people sort of like to make these very quaint, uh, dismissive descriptions of, of something 
you know, like synchronicity and mythology. Um, I and that sort of implies that that they are controlling it, and they're not. Um, you know, the mythology is something that's constantly evolving, and it's going to evolve many times in ways that we're, we're not crazy about. But it, it suits, you know, the storytellers and the story listeners' needs. And, and at the end of his life, Joseph Campbell was was uh, asked many times, and and uh, and always responded the same way. Um, he, they, he would basically the question put to him would be, you know, what's what's our next mythology? What's our new mythology? And he was saying that these old mythologies, which are the mythologies of warring tribes and and us against them, and and uh, and and such. Um, he he was saying that these old mythologies don't work anymore. And that we need new mythologies. And the the interviewer would ask, "Well, what is the new mythology?" And he says, "I don't know what it's going to be any more than I can know what tonight's dream will be. But I do know that it will be a global mythology. That it'll be, a, and it's going to have to be an, a, a mythology that encompasses all of us on the globe. And and this is to me, this is the present day UFO phenomena. It is it is something that there's a there's a, you know, I guess in a way it's it's our tribe against their tribe. And when you get right down to it, it's it's uh, it's just that our planet." Is now uh, needs to be treated as a singular collection of humanity rather than uh, you know fractionalized, uh, atomized, you know warring tribes. Which well, I mean that that one thing that the camel did said that always got on my nerves. He said that you know we have no mythology and we can't have a mythology because of technology and because things are moving fast. But but actually the opposite is true. We are swimming in it. Um, and I agree. More, I agree completely. There is more myth now than, than at any time in history. And it's, believe me, if you've been down a Dragon Con, you would never for a moment assume that there's no mythology. When you see people immersed in live action role playing, in cosplay, uh, in, 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 in uh, role playing gaming, when, when you see this, this incredible immersive um, world, uh, sort of take over people uh, and people of all types. I mean, you, you know, there's a sort of tendency to dismiss it as all nerd stuff, but that's not true at all. I mean, it's really very broad based. And, and, you know, one of the things that I was arguing in Spandex is that this whole impulse is becoming more and more compelling to people because, you know, life is getting more stressful and, and, and people are feeling more powerless. So they're, they're, they're obviously gravitating towards those kind of things. And that's, you know, that's really a good point of what I'm trying to say is that, you know, Campbell was alive to see uh, Star Trek and Star Wars and things like that. And yet he was not recognizing these things as, as modern mythologies. And I, I, you know, I have a real problem with that. I don't know. He must have never gone to a Star Trek convention. He must have never gone to a comic book convention. No, and actually he said he never watched movies. He, he he openly says he'd never watched movies. He said like the first movie he had seen since like 1935, and I'm not kidding, was was when uh, when uh, Lucas invited him to see Star Wars. Yeah, well, see that's that to me is is poor scholarship. No, and I, I agree. I, I agree. I think he's I think he's a brilliant character, and I and I love his take on a lot of things, and it's very inspiring. Um, but uh, I just I think that there, that he was uh, you know he was looking you know through the wrong end of the binocular in a way. Yeah, well, I think that's he's so invested in his 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 dialectic, you know, his own his own personal um, dialectic, you know, th that he is Joseph Campbell and he's the authority, uh, you know, to to be so dismissive of 
really these incredibly powerful mythologies that were just mutating constantly uh, since I would say at least the mid '60s, when um, when Lord of the Rings really started to hit. Uh, Lord of the Rings really started to hit, you know, some sometime in the early to mid '60s, and then from there on, I mean, it was it was just a fait accompli. It was Katie bar the door. Uh, you, you know, that led us to Star Trek. That led us to 2001. That led us to Planet of the Apes. That led us to Star Wars. I mean, uh, never mind the Marvel explosion, the Marvel comics um, that were just incredibly uh, popular with all the hippies and all the drug heads. And, you know, and that, I mean, that, that sort of brings up my other, um, you know, I used to be really big into Carlos Castaneda. I was really big into uh, Timothy Leary, people like that. I was, but I was really into the whole psychedelic thing. I was really into uh, altered states, and 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 that to me is is another um, another aspect of this uh, the psychedelic culture, the drug culture, um, how all these things sort of came together in the '60s. Where you ha and and actually on on Monday I'm, I'm you know working up either Monday or Tuesday, uh, which would be I guess the sixth or the seventh. I'm going to be putting together, uh, you know, something that's going to sort of tie together, uh, hopefully, all these strands: drug culture and, and the '60s and psychedelic rock, and and of course my my ever popular X Files. Uh, and yeah, that's something I just wanted to mention here as well is that I mean, really, the X Files to me is such a a, a major part of all my work, and I, I think it's something that is constantly revealing new aspects to me. I'm, I'm constantly finding new. I mean, li literally nearly every day finding new connections uh, in the X-Files that I, I had not thought of before, things that sort of tie in uh, all these various sort of strands, parapolitics, UFOs, drug culture, oh pop gosh, culture. Oh, my it gets into even the, the crazy synchronistic stuff or the coincidental stuff, uh, just the fact that the spinoff show, The um, the Lone Gunman, had that, that uh, you know, heavy-handed... 9/11 thing. Yeah, the 9/11 scene where they're like flying the jet plane into the to the uh, World Trade Center, the hijacked jet plane that's yeah. hijacked by you know secret government agents that are that are you know out for nefarious you know trying to take over the world kind of stuff. Yeah, there's no question about it. Yeah. And where did uh, that well up from? I mean, that's that's to me that's that's the same thing that I was talking about is is the the you know where does this stuff come from? Well, you know what. Um, it's interesting because 9/11 was really sort of the uh, turning point for me in a lot of ways. I, I'd been doing a lot of work uh, on my own and through email. I, I had a sort of a circle of friends that I would email with, and uh, I'd be sort of looking at basically a lot of things that I was doing. I'm doing now on the blog. I, I started off sort of the you know emailing people, but. Uh, more often, I was doing sort of current events and sort of showing how these synchronistic elements were sort of playing themselves out in in current events. And uh, actually, I'm, I'm going to put some of that stuff up. Uh, I, I've got to sort of organize it, but I, I do have a few um, things that I, I would definitely like to put up on the blog. And, and you know, people are going to have to sort of put on their thinking caps and sort of think back to when a lot of these things were happening. But uh, there are some interesting things that I sort of want to call out. But again, yeah, I mean, that really ties into um, the X-Files because for me, uh, it all just broke wide open with 9-11. And uh, it's sort of, there was a process leading up to that. I, I remember watching the uh, 
I don't know if people are even going to remember this, but there, just before, a few months before 9-11, there was a foot and mouth disease outbreak in England. Yep. And I was looking at this and thinking, I was seeing these uh, bonfires with all these cattle, and all I could think of, you know, since I had a religious upbringing, was uh, the um, the Temple of Jerusalem with the, the burnt offerings, you know, where the, the, they would burn these uh, cattle on these uh, these altars to Jehovah. And... Uh, there were some interesting synchronicities with, uh, you know, some of the the, the Bible um, captions—not uh, captions, but uh, passages—you uh, know, pertaining to, to to burnt offerings and what was going on in England. And uh, yeah, I mean, just a lot of stuff going on um, that really, you know, did come to a head. Uh, you know, because I'm in New Jersey, and basically. In, in the summer before 9/11, I was in down. I was in Lower Manhattan basically all the time. I was working uh, in in doing storyboard work in and where, Soho. And where were you working? Well, I was working uh, at a at a place in uh, Soho. Um, uh, uh, they did uh, like film commercials uh, and and sort of industrial films. I was doing a lot of storyboard work. And then also, I, I guess I've mentioned this before, but I, I, when I lived in New York, I did a lot of storyboard stuff. Yeah, so I was down like uh, basically what I would do is I would take the um, World Trade Center train from Hoboken, and it's really amazing that I wasn't in the city that day uh, because you know this period of time I was doing all this stuff. So anyhow, um, and also at the same time, the same exact time, uh, my uh, I was working on a. Uh, uh, screenplay uh, and my my friend who uh, who I was working with it on lived basically on South End Avenue he lived uh, a block and a half away from the World Trade Center and, and he was on the ground uh, had this really nightmarish experience uh, on 9-11 on, on where uh, you know basically his wife and daughter were almost killed when the uh, the North Tower came down mm-hmm. so uh, really you know that sort of broke everything open in so many different ways and uh you know i've sort of alluded to a lot of this stuff on the site and one of the sort of major first synchro mystic things per se that i did on the blog was called uh, 9 11 10 13 where i did talk about um the lone gunman but i also talked about the tarot and how uh there were some people who were looking at the tower and i'm like well wait a minute is this two towers i mean that's kind of lame you know do you just Forget the other tower exists, you know, the tower tarot. And I, I showed people that the, uh, in the Rider Waite deck that there was the, uh, the, moon, the moon trump and also the, um, the death trump that both had, you know, very strange. Uh, it looked like you were looking at New York City from New Jersey. And this is the illustrations on the on the actual tarot cards. Um, yeah, yeah. If you go to my blog and just do a search, uh, just do nine eleven ten thirteen uh, spelled out, spelled out nine eleven ten thirteen. Um, you, you know, you'll pull that and and you know, sort of talked about um, these weird uh, connections. So um, yeah, and, I mean, and it's then just, the, you just you mentioned the. Uh, oh, I mean, the, that's the uh, Lord of the Rings book was called the Twin Towers, wasn't it? The two towers, yeah. And uh, and of course the Lord of the Rings, the first Lord of the Rings movie came out that uh, that Christmas right after nine eleven. So um, yeah, it's uh, and of course after the election, I did all the things with you know the, when the World Trade Center came down. All of a sudden, I 
I mean, I saw this because I was in and out of the city all the time and, and at the Hoboken train station. I saw the uh, World Financial Center, and I was like, oh, I've never noticed that before. I never looked at that because it was, it was just basically overshadowed by the Twin Towers. And, uh, you know, that sort of tied into a lot of the stuff with Sirius because basically it's, it is the stairway to Sirius. It's, it's, uh, it's basically the, the Sirius hieroglyph um, writ large in architecture. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, um, no, and I agree that the New York City is just, it's a, it just has this, uh, uh, almost like fable-like quality to it. It's, it's, it's imagery is so intense. Um, well, at the time it was being built up, this was really the, the, um, the height of popularity of Freemasonry and so much of, uh, of what was being, carved in stone essentially was all the sort of Masonic symbolism and I, I've done a lot of posts on that you know called Masonic Manhattan um, yes yeah, when did you work at the world at the excuse me at the um, Empire State Building um, I started working the Empire State Building in 88 and I worked there until 95 huh. so about I, li I lived seven right at the years. base of the uh, Empire State Building I lived on 28th Street which is but we're not quite at right at the base, but close enough that that I had this amazing view of it out my window in that apartment I had on 28th Street. And uh, it's and a it's a dump of a building inside. Though. Oh yeah, it totally I, is. I, I heard. Yeah, it's disgusting. And I was always sick when I was working there too. That's the thing that was horrible. It was the air ventilation systems were so <laughs> filthy. I was I, I was constantly getting sinus infections. When oh, I was that doesn't in surprise that. me. I knew a few people who worked there, and I would go up and visit them, and I always was kind of shocked at how how um, frumpy the building was. But um, on the inside. Um, but it, uh, yeah, I knew how what time midnight was. I remember that was I would have been in my twenties at that point in New York City, and and uh, and I uh, when the at, at midnight they they turned the lights off on the on the building. So oh, is that right? Yeah. So that was my clock basically, and, and it would change the entire light on the inside of my house, depending you know what how what lights I had on and such. So yeah, I I, I basically worked for two separate companies there. And, um, you know, as an artist, uh, one of which was on the 17th floor, which is kind of funny, given what I write about on the blog. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I remember, you know, like the first uh, World Trade Center bombing in, in 93. I remember when that went down and we were all sent home. And so, I mean, being, being in, in New York City, being in Manhattan really gives you a sort of... Uh, interesting take on it. And the funny thing is, though, is that I, this is stuff that I'd never really paid any attention to until I had a friend who, who was really into uh, mythology and architecture and stuff and would sort of take us on these walking tours because he used to be a, a, a delivery boy and he knew all the lobbies. And we would see, you know, especially around Murray Hill, um, Midtown area, you see some really amazing symbolism in the, uh, in, you know, particularly in the lobbies and the elevators. Uh, oh my gosh! So yeah, and I did the same thing. That was kind of my. I had a little tour when people would come and visit, and and uh, and I would take them to the um, uh, Grand Central Station, and uh, and then there was. Oh yeah. And then Rockefeller Center yeah. was just a wash and all the stuff where. Yeah. Where, um, you know, Charles yeah. Lindbergh was was presented as as this as this sort of you know mythic godlike creature, and and you know right next to Atlas. Yeah, well, it's funny because I remember while I was working in the Empire State Building, at one point I uh, went out to dinner with my mother and my grandmother, and we actually ate in this um, 
this is down in Jersey, but we ate in this uh, restaurant where all the uh, reporters lunched during the Lindbergh trial. This is down in Flemington, New Jersey, because that's where the trial was held. Yeah, so being, sort of being able to see a lot of this kind of history firsthand is uh, definitely a good experience. Anybody who's kind of interested in these topics, I would definitely just recommend to, to take a trip into New York sometime and just uh, hit some of these spots and, and really get a sense of... Uh, you know what they're like, and 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 that sort of that will change your um, your outtake on things. Uh, a lot of these strange uh, goings on that are happening now. Uh, you know, the, most especially the thing in Dubai, which just kind of blew my mind. Um, you know, and that sort of ties into what we were talking about before. That um, probably when I started the blog, I wasn't thinking about UFOs at all, and then sometime in maybe March of 2008, I did this thing on uh, what I called astronaut theology, which is sort of an AT thing. But um, all of this sort of really prepared me for when the uh, the uh, not only the election, but the thing in Dubai, because the thing in Dubai was was probably the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. And that's, and, the, and that's the, um, the sort of, I don't know how you want to say, the, the, I was going to say the inauguration of the city, but that's not the right term for it. Well, basically what it was is that it was the opening of this, uh, the Atlantis Hotel. Um, but they put on this fireworks display on this uh, artificial island that could only basically be seen from space. Uh, if you're on the ground, all you see is basically a bunch of smoke and flame. You had no idea what was going on. You had no idea the shape that they were creating. It was basically to be seen from space. And there were a lot of sort of things going on at the time. And, you know, you can see all this stuff in the blog that, that all had to do with this viewpoint from space. Uh, and, and then we saw that in the inauguration, we saw um, CNN had this whole thing where you could watch the inauguration from the satellite. And there were all these photographs and stuff. So they were really hitting us with this meme of, of seeing this stuff from space. And when I watched the, uh, the Atlantis Hotel opening, I, I, just, I just couldn't help but think that, you know, what they were doing was they were trying to impress somebody who was not on the face of the planet. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's like... It's like, and it's like it seems like a more elaborate version of the guy in like you know the the, the funny guy in the cornfield in in uh, you know Iowa that says you know like oh I've just uh, I'm going to make a landing spot for the UFOs you know yeah it, it was sort of like that a, writ large yeah, yeah it, like so large that it's kind of berserk that it was kind of a creepy large it was it was very odd well when you the thing is though is that if you're not looking for if you're not familiar with the symbolism then you're not look looking for the sort of the manifestations of the symbolism. It's not going to mean as much for you. But this whole thing happened right after I did the whole thing with the, uh, the, the Obama election and all that symbolism. And uh, it basically just, I, I you know, the, 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 the seeds had been planted, you know, over the past year. So when this, finally, this thing finally went down, it just completely blew my mind. And I think a lot of the people who had been really following what I was doing, what I was talking about on the blog, particularly with the election. Because really what happened is that sometime last summer, I was kind of like, I, I just, I don't know, I was like, I was having some health problems, and it was making me really tired, and a lot of stuff going down that I just, I wasn't really feeling the blog anymore. I just kind of felt like I just was spinning my wheels, and, 
it just was worn out, and I was just writing about the same shit, and it just it, it just didn't, it wasn't working for me. And then basically, what changed all that was when Bruce Springsteen did this uh, this uh, rally for Obama in Philadelphia, right near the Franklin Institute, and then these strange little objects showed up floating above their heads, and this made this was front page news in Philadelphia. This was on the the prime time news. This was on the front page of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Oh, really? It was okay. That's very interesting because I it, it I hadn't heard anything about it. The only place I've stumbled on this news was on these sort of esoteric you know websites, you know yours included. No, no, no. It was uh, it was big news. It was big and, news. And, and were and people in the audience reporting seeing this as well as as well as that little teeny clip that gets shown on YouTube? I, as far as I know, yeah. yeah. I, because there were photos. Uh, somebody somebody had taken the, uh, the the video, and then they also took photos. So yeah, uh, yeah. Just so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, who knows what it, what it could have been? I mean, it could have been anything, but it's just again, it's that sort of synchronicity aspect to, to it. And what was That's the song really he was playing? The Rising. <laughs> no, with the no, no, no. Wait, the song that it was playing um, uh, when when he was playing does this bus uh, does, does this bus stop at Eighty Second Street? That's the song he was playing while during the filming. You know, during that that two video. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, the, the whole thing with the rising, and then you know Obama was using that and his victory, and he, you know that he played that at the inauguration and everything, and you know of course I mean that's really obvious with the phoenix and everything. I mean, we saw all the phoenix, yeah, so it was just really strange to see all the symbolism. But um, you can, can kind of construct a narrative around it, and whether people are going to follow you there, whether people are going to uh, latch on to that, or they're going to have their own take on it, or yeah, that's whether they're going to absorb it on some level, uh, on some like deep you know, uh, subconscious level. You know, they, maybe they don't even have to, you know, maybe they just, like, glance at the headline and dismiss it, and, and this stuff is just being, being uh, you know, seeding our subconscious in a way and changing our, our collective psyche. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you. But the thing to me is that one of the things that I'm, I'm really feeling very strongly about is that, People sort of come from their different viewpoints. Well, like some people come from sort of a UFO viewpoint. Some people come from a psychological viewpoint, uh, maybe like a synchronistic viewpoint. Some people from sort of like an occult viewpoint. Some people come from sort of a New Age viewpoint. And to me, um, you know, bring it on. Let's hear it all. I'm, I'm really interested in hearing everybody's uh, viewpoint. The only thing I don't like is when somebody sort of goes, well, my, my speculation is... is you know, more correct than your speculation. Well, that's the fundamentalist thing. That's the thing. The next step, you know. Yeah, that yeah, that that, that really gets on my nerves. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's really important to, um, you know, I want to hear what everyone has to say because to me it's all important. But uh, I think one thing that I really have a, a problem with is, you know, when everybody sort of, again, sort of takes on these positions and, and then, you know, fights them, and they tend to end up um, uh, dismissing a lot of interesting information. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, I think it's all valid. And and everybody has their viewpoint. Everybody has their role to play. So let's hear it all. Uh, you know, that's that's really what I want to do. I mean, I'm going to have my viewpoint, and you know, other people are going to have their viewpoints. But I, I, you know, to me, it's like what I want to do on the blog is that. I, I want to hear a whole host of different 
different arguments. And the only time I really get my back up is when people come on and sort of dismiss other people's arguments uh, in favor of their own. And I, I think it's really important, uh, particularly since we're, you know, we're ultimately dealing in the realm of speculation to, um, you know, to have your viewpoint and to argue it well, but not to, um, you know, not to dismiss it because, you know, like I was saying uh, before on the blog, I mean, I think that um, a lot of people involved in, you know, the hallucinogens and the atheogens, uh, you know, have their viewpoint, people involved in the UFOs, people involved in synchronistic research, symbolic research, conspiracy research. You know, what if all of those are just parts of a whole? Uh, what if they all are meant to work together and not meant to be sort of divided up? What if they're all intertwined? What if they're all interdependent? Uh, that's basically the way I see it. Uh, I think it's all it all works together. Um, I mean, I'll read things from a, a variety of different viewpoints because to me um, they don't they don't cancel each other out because you know phenomena of any type is going to be a complex uh, you know it's going to be a complex event that there are going to be a number of different things happening at the same time. And especially you know, if the phenomena. If the phenomena is is like multidimensional and multi-layered and multi and, and I think that's that's our one of our trappings in this as being humans is that we're like almost incapable of seeing the big picture and seeing the multi-layered things. And, and well, we what? To, yeah, go ahead. Go on. Well, that but that's you know one of the things I was saying again before what I was saying about the X Files. Thing I love about the X Files is is the way that. All these different strands are sort of woven together, um, and uh, you know that's that's very inspiring to me. And, and, and including, and sort of like, I, you know, the, I mean, it's got the conspiracy stuff, it's got the UFO stuff, it's got the symbolism of the you know the ancient religious stuff, it's got the you know, yeah, it's it, it's uh, it's interesting because I've I've reignited my uh, oh I, I really enjoyed the show I enjoyed the show greatly when it first came out and um, and I watched it all on VHS they had it at the video rental store here near my house and and uh, I sort of watched them in order and uh, the ones that were available and and uh, enjoyed it greatly and then I just kind of you know haven't thought about it much and, and you've reignited a uh, and I just think also it's it's pretty good and pretty fun storytelling a lot of it I think that there's a there was a funny sort of charm there's a bunch of shows that were played for comedy that I thought you know, worked really well. So. Oh, you're there? Well, it's, yeah, I'm here. I'll tell you something really interesting. Like I said, that every day I'm discovering sort of new clues to this big puzzle. But um, if you remember the X-Files movie, you know, it's something dawned on me at some point in time fairly recently, even though I'd sort of been processing it. But, you know, there's a difference between processing realization. But that you know, hallucinogens and entheogens were really this major part of what was going on in the X-Files. But it was sort of sub rosa. It was not necessarily part of the uh, the surface narrative. But um, today I was just reading, uh, the they had the character um, uh, that they talk about in uh, Paperclip, the episode Paperclip, and also in the um, the the first feature film, the character Strughold. Now, the interesting thing about Strughold is that Strughold was conducting experiments with psychedelic drugs in concentration camps during World War II. So isn't that fascinating? That that's the character who they sort of 
uh, hone in on as the leader of this conspiracy was this guy who in real life was was doing these experiments uh, on prisoners with um, uh, psychedelic drugs, LSD, things like that. It's interesting because one of the things that I've always heard in uh – this is going, this, I'll just say this interview is going on longer than I, much longer than I thought of it was, but I'm enjoying it. Um, is that uh, you know that a lot of people say like, oh, you know, the people who see UFOs are influenced by pop culture, and you know they're influenced by things like like uh, the X Files, and then they'll just dismiss the whole thing out of hand. You know, the 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 fact that there's this this odd phenomenon taking place, you know, right now in our in our history. Um, and then everything I've ever heard about the X-Files is they basically, the scriptwriter said, oh, yeah, we had this whole library. We had a whole big room full of full of UFO books and full of esoteric books, and we just sit around and, 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 uh, and read these things and, and you know, look, for, look for things to sneak into the show. So just the opposite was happening. The, the, uh, the real research that was being done in, in being put in books was then take, you know, going from those books into the show. Well, does it, you know, I, I love that, that, expo- that sort of... Um explanation of all this phenomena because what were the people who were doing the cave paintings of UFOs of flying saucers in, in caves 40,000 years ago? What shows were they watching? What shows, uh, what movies were the, the people who wrote the Mithraic uh, liturgy that talked about being you know, carried into the air on this beam of light and these doors opening and this disc and inside yeah. the disc is, you know, what, what, what movies was, what were they watching? reading, exactly. Yeah, I mean, when you have uh, this... Uh, all this strange uh, evidence throughout history, um, what exactly were they drawing upon? You know, uh, they didn't have any sense of technology, or did they? Uh, but we have no evidence that they themselves were using this technology. Uh, you know, where, where were they getting these ideas? See, again, that's what I'm talking about. Um, it's, it, and it's really fascinating to me that people do these really elaborate dances to dance around just this, this entire possibility. I mean, it, it, it's sort of like Occam's razor in reverse. Because really, Occam's razor would just say, okay, well, wait a minute. We know that there are other planets. We know there are other civilizations. We understand uh, warp speed travel now. and we, we understand the math behind it. We can't do it yet. But we understand all these concepts. We understand, uh, you know, bending time. We understand all these different uh, interdimensional ideas. Um, we understand all this stuff. So why would we not assume that uh, a civilization that maybe had a 10,000-year head start on us would not be <laughs> would not be using it outright? I mean, it's you and know, the same way go, we have we have you know like that was the big deal to go to uh, you know like when you went out west they sent they sent uh, Lewis and Clark out west to, and one of the things they were doing was you know documenting what the birds they found and things like that you know so if you look at their and that's you know we can anthropomorphize these these you know entities that are inside these little you know metal spaceships and say oh they're just like us they're they're scientists they're here um, you know to study us the same way that we go into you know Yellowstone National Park and study grizzly bears um, after you look at it for a while and if you know Jacques Vallée I mean if you look at the the the, the, the phenomena for closely that model which is so tidy and so perfect. Um, Eventually changes and falls apart a little bit. It's hard to it's hard to fit the the, the strangeness that's uh, showing up in people's stories uh, and and make it fit that that well. Model. These stories go very very far back. Oh, I agree. Uh, the stories the are very was... mythic. Even the ones that go very far back, they're very bizarre. 
And there are literally tens and tens of thousands of UFO reports. Sure. Uh, from all the way from ancient Egypt all the way up to pre-industrial England. Okay. So what were these people being influenced by? Were they watching the X-Files? I mean, uh, there's so much of this information. And really, and, and it's interesting because I think I had sort of, sort of seen this but hadn't really processed. But the whole thing that there are uh, in these cave paintings, that there are, are flying saucers in cave paintings. You know, obviously this, this phenomenon has been with us our entire history, whatever it may be. You know, whatever it is. I mean, who the hell knows what it is? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm really uh, a lot more skeptical than, than some people might assume because my whole thing is I want to see and feel and touch the evidence before I, I will sign on to it. So, I mean, really the only thing right now that's sort of keeping me from being a quote-unquote UFO believer is that I personally haven't uh, had these experiences. I personally haven't had the, uh, contact or sightings or whatever. And, and that, to me, is just the way I roll. But there's just so much in, uh, interesting information out there. And the way I process it, the way I look at it, is that I approach this like, okay, I don't have this information at hand. I don't have these experiences. But are there other people out there that believe it? Who are these people that believe it? Is it just crazies? And if you look at uh, what's going on and in, in, in we're being presented in the media and in strange sort of ways. Uh, today I did this thing on the Olympics that was just completely bizarre and off the wall. Uh, what does that say? I mean, what does that say about the people who are running the Olympics? Do they have these strange beliefs? Why were they uh, inserting the five-tone alien signal uh, from Close Encounters into the 2000 Olympics in the song that was about Australia. What's the connection there? It's bizarre. But there, you know, that's just one example. But there are hundreds and hundreds of these examples that are just so anomalous and are, are, are really mysteries. And the only thing to me that sort of would necessarily solve all these mysteries that, is that if we, there was some disclosure or there was some sort of wide-scale contact. And then it, there would be no mysteries at all anymore and I'd be out of a job. <laughs> Well, yeah, there'd be a lot of people. There would be a lot of the stuff would get shaken up uh, dramatically, uh, and you know, this that that goes right into all kinds of you know whatever. If that's the case, then you know who knows? I mean, can't, no one can predict the future, and, and something that catastrophic and that that like earth shattering, you know, quite literally, uh, yeah, no one can predict how how we would respond, whether we would step up to the plate and you know become you know higher citizens of of the, you know, the cosmos, like, you know, the Federation and Star Trek, or if we just descend into, like, madness, like the, you know, like a, a village full of, you know, alcoholic Indians that have, you know, been, you know, crushed under the boot of, of uh, you know, Western man. Well, it's interesting that there are, there would be, uh, you can sort of make a supposition of, of, say, some sort of wide-scale disclosure of contact. And there are definitely certain cultures that would have no problem with it, necessarily. I mean, the Indians are really kind of primed to it. Not the, well, certain American Indians, the Hopis, the sure, Navajo. The Hopis, I oh my think gosh, the would, Hopis are, 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 in essence, prophesizing it right now. Um, certainly, uh, but the, uh, the Hindus, you know, the East Indians, as it were, uh, I, I think probably most of the Chinese wouldn't really have a problem, Japanese, a lot of uh, Asian countries. Uh, I think that um, certain um, Brazil is really sort of very far ahead of the curve in a lot of this kind of research. A uh, lot of, always a lot of interesting sort of 
off-the-wall stuff coming out of Brazil. But by the same token, there are a lot of, um, you know, large-scale populations that would be really shaken to their core, that and their entire that, that identity be, would be... That would be us. I mean, we're, like, the United States has, like, you know, made a, you know, our, our identity is all based on being, like, you know, the world cop, the world top banana, the, you know, our, our the, the, the cultural juggernaut of the whole planet. Well, it makes you sort of wonder that 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 that's that whole that whole identity is is kind of being dismantled. You, you know that uh, I, I guess I'm given to wonder whether that's in, maybe in preparation for something that you know that the American economy is being dismantled, the American military. I mean, everything is just sort of basically being systematically dismantled. I mean, who knows? But again, I mean, to me, the the fun and and really. I, I want the blog to be fun. I really do. I want people to have a good time when they come here. Um, is 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 in just sort of trying to fit all the pieces together. And uh, again, I mean, literally, I was really into UFO stuff um, in the, from like '89 to like mm, maybe '96 or so. That's when that was like sort of the. the Sort of the prime time of my my UFO enthusiasm, and, that and then been right when when Communion came out, and when Bud Hopkins first published exactly that's exactly right, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but then I sort of just kind of lost interest, and in didn't even think about it at all. Um, uh, and and again, it was strange because I was really fascinated by the X Files, but I, I I was always sort of drawing these other sort of parallels to it, you know. Um, and science fiction film and things like that. Uh, and, it w- and like literally, I, I really don't think it was until last year when I went to Esalen and I was hanging out with people like Jacques Vallée and he has a friend, uh, I forget his name, um, there's a, another French guy who's done a lot of UFO work that Jacques brought along with him. Oh. Uh, I could look up his name, I, I don't remember okay. it right now. I, I probably wouldn't know it anyway, but go. Uh, but anyways, but you know, just sort of, um, I don't know, there's a whole sort of almost like a paradigm shift there. And uh, again, I'm, I'm I'm really staying focused on this stuff and, and looking at it through a lens of pop culture, because I'm not an astrophysicist. You know, <laughs> I've I've never had a sighting, I've never had a, a contact. So I'm really just trying to um, see how this stuff plays out. But uh, it's really fascinating how many sort of questions it answers. I mean, whether that's the correct answer or not, you know, sort of remains to be seen. Oh gosh, I agree so so strongly that that uh, uh, on that one that, that I just think that there's stuff just like I just I see it all the time and it, and and sometimes the stuff just hits me in the face in a way that 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 is um, you know it just shocks me how how blatant it is you know in our pop culture. Well, you know the thing is though is like what you were saying before is that you can kind of tie it back to ancient mythology. I mean, all the ancient mythologies of highly ordered civilizations from Mesoamerica to Mesopotamia basically tell the same story. And they basically tell the story of contact with star beings who helped them, you know, settle, who helped them, you know, taught them agriculture, who taught them writing, who taught them... And taught them, I mean, uh, you're t- they, they get right into the Bible where, like, the, the, you know, the star of Bethlehem is, like, over the... the manger of the guy who teaches us, you know, who attempts to teach us, you know, love thy neighbor. Uh, yeah, and it's funny how they how they sort of played into that in the X-Files as well. 
Uh, I don't know if you remember that episode. But anyhow, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me the difference between uh, more, you know, more often than not highly ordered civilizations and more, more lesser developed civilizations. And then you have these interesting sort of anomalies like the Dogon tribe. Um, but they all sort of very, you know, the Hopis, the Mayans, the Aztecs, you know, all these sort of Mesoamericans. Uh, you know, you have the whole thing with Anasazi that Chris Carter was just completely obsessed with. Um, and then, you know, you sort of take that overseas and you have Egypt and you have uh, Mesopotamia and you have Tibet and China. You know, there are a lot, there's a lot of interesting stuff, you know, pertaining to China that, that we're just now starting to understand. Uh, a lot of interesting sort of uh, anomalous evidence in their cultural and history, historical record. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes you really think that uh, history is, is a convenient fiction that's constructed for political reasons and that, you know, the real answers are much more complex and troubling. And like I said, um, people who are freaked out by uh, UFOs and and, and ancient astronauts and things like that. Believe me, I completely understand it. I, I, you know, particularly from a psychological point of view, uh, you know, and the thing that really fascinates me, particularly with the ancient astronaut stuff, is that it makes people angry. People get angry. They get, like, freaked out by it. It's like... I think that's... I love that. I mean, whatever. No, I love that. But, I mean, I just think that when people are angry, when people respond with anger, you know you're on the right path. Uh... Well, I, I don't know if necessarily you're, you're on the right path, but you know that you've really touched a nerve. Yeah, well, that's a good and, way to say it. And, and part of this that, um, you know, again, plays into uh, psychology is that certain people in the sciences and in certain uh, academia um, really have this sense of themselves that they're the guardians of the great knowledge, that they are the, the high priesthood of, of mankind. I mean, they will not use that language, but if you really sort of scratch at it, that's what you're going to, that's what you're going to come away with. That these people think that they're in control of, you know, that they're steering the, 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 the ship of, of mankind, uh, you know, through history. Um, you know, people just really get freaked out by it. And uh, I think that's something that, you know, people in, involved in this kind of research, I think people have to respect that. You know, I think that um, you have to sort of understand the psychology behind that and sort of be very ginger, gingerly about that. Step, step very carefully around that because, uh, again, I mean, Actually, I think I might have brought this up in, in a blog posting, but there was this great uh, Jack Kirby comic, The Forever People, um, back in 1971. And there was uh, Superman was the guest star in the first issue. And uh, he, uh, Clark Kent was interviewing the, the, the world champion boxer. 
uh, you know, since Kirby was so out of touch in so many ways, it was a, you know, it was a white guy, <laughs> but he was saying, you know, as long as Superman's around, I'm just a bum, you know, I'm nobody, you know, that guy can always beat me, you know, with one hand tied behind his back. And I think that's sort of the way a lot of people feel about just even the potential of an alien presence, that, that it makes them irrelevant. And I think that's, you know, that's a very powerful uh, emotion in a lot of ways. You know, and, and particularly things that, you know, when you start to get into things like abduction, you know, that we, you know, you can't control it, uh, you know, these sightings, uh, things like that, that we're, we're sort of facing, if in fact this is true, but, the, you know, the, the potential, the idea that we're facing this, you know, impossibly advanced uh, technology that we really just have no response to, uh, I think is, is very intimidating. It's intimidating to me, certainly. Oh, God, yeah. yeah and, I think, and, here's, and I'll follow up with the fact that I've been very open in the last year or so with, with my experiences, and I've been talking about them a lot. I've been writing about them. I, I was involved in a documentary for a little bit where I was talking about some of the stuff, and the documentary's kind of fallen to the wayside. But um, the general response has been people are pretty understanding in the sense that they're like, huh, that's interesting. Um, and I haven't really been laughed at uh, a little bit in some circles. But um, uh, So I think that something's changing because I don't think I could have come out and told the same stories that I'm telling now 15 years ago. I think I would have yeah. been ridiculed uh, with, with a lot of venom. Um, and I haven't really felt that much of that. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it is good. It is good. I would, I, I'd be, you know, whatever. I, 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 um, yeah, I don't know where I'd be right now if it was, if it was, uh, and this is sort of follows up with these these other folks that are coming out right now with the same stories. Maybe there's a collection of people out here that just sense that it's it's appropriate and 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 the the general population is accepting more of this information than they might have been um, 15, 20 years ago, or even a decade ago. Well, like I said, I, again, always the best way to sort of uh, approach people about it is is as speculation, is as questioning, is at you know because I think particularly now we're sort of at a, a point in our history where so many sort of long-standing assumptions we had about the way the world works have just basically fallen to dust around our feet. Uh, so I, I think in some people's minds, you know. Um, Everything's up for grabs, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how so how all of this um, uh, develops. And, you know, of course, I could end up uh, sort of chasing some new idea that will just take me in a completely different <laughs> direction than what I'm in now. You know, because so, that happens so much with me. Yeah. But uh, I'm, no, I'm pretty. I, I feel uh, like I'm the same thing where I where I started this whole journey expecting to find, you know, certain puzzle pieces that would all fit together and I had a pre-planned way like, oh, this is how this is my theory and this is, you know, here's the books I've read and here's how I'm going to, you know, and confront this and and actually stepping out into the this world and you know, going to UFO conventions and then sitting in in the abductee support groups and and listening to people tell their stories and uh you know, the people I've met, the people that I've clicked with, it has been significantly different than than I would have guessed, and it has been significantly more bizarre than I would have guessed. Um, you know, it's it's that 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 uh, little scientists in the little metal spaceships coming here to collect data. Uh, from from what I've seen, talking to folks, and from my 
fleeting little peripheral experiences doesn't seem to match. Something weirder is going on. Yeah, that whole sort of paradigm was just a sort of, well, basically, wasn't that all Bud Hopkins? I mean, wasn't that basically, I had spoken to, you would put me in touch with him. It was Jer- Jeremy Vaney. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and, and he sort of was, you know, very dismissive of, of Bud Hopkins' um, take, that, that whole take. What was it, the whole dying race trying to gather more, you know, new yeah, genetic these kind of aerial. These, these genetically uh, sterile beings, you know, desperately search, searching for DNA in order to sort of revitalize their own species and, you know, hybrid children and, and somehow they're... So that, that's the evidence that, that Bud has... That's, that's his conclusion. Well, you know, again, maybe it's best not to draw conclusions until all the evidence is in. And I agree. And you know what I mean? And yeah. And then at the, uh, and the, I haven't really drawn any conclusion. And, and uh, yeah, this is so interesting because there's another researcher that I've talked with, and uh, and I and I and I remember saying to him something to the effect of, uh, you know, he was kind of he was kind of edging me on to say like, oh, this is you know, you should you're in a position where you could you could say stuff a little more concretely, and I'm like, I don't have it. It's not in me. It would feel dishonest if I said stuff more concretely. You know what it is? It's 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 very interesting. That to me, it's like you know when you know when you're telling somebody about your dreams, and it's like really interesting and 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 uh, compelling to you because you experienced it, but it's very hard for for the other person to sort of step into their reality because they're not going to see that dream the same way you did, and that's kind of the way I look at abduction material and channeled material, and I'm, I'm not making a, a value judgment on its veracity. I'm saying that. It's such a subjective kind of thing that unless there's something that I can sort of find a toehold on, it's very difficult for me to enter into that reality. Which is why, which is why um, I don't do a lot of personal sync stuff on the on the blog. Uh, not because you know I don't think it's really interesting, but it's my it's my it's my experience. And I'm not necessarily sure how many people are going to be able to, to enter into that. And how, um, how would you, have you had a bunch of personal synchronicity experiences? Uh, uh, tens of thousands, yeah. I, like I have... Any, like, a, like, like stuff that, that is, is, is quite meaningful? Um, well, I see, I have this... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how large it is now. I have a, a folder in my uh, on my hard drive that I, I basically keep sort of a running log of all this kind of material. Uh, it's almost a gigabyte. Uh, there's almost ten thousand files within it. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. And, and I, yeah. Uh, this is very interesting because I'm almost going from my on this blog that I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm being so personal that it's almost. I think it's almost like. I worry about myself. Like, am I going crazy? Like, I'm getting really personal and talking about. So, so mine is almost like I'm you know uninterested in talking about anything else except that's what's happened to me. You know, it's funny though. I'll tell you something that's really funny is that I like reading about other people's synchronicities, but I don't like writing about my own. <laughs> well, I mean, you talked. Le- you have the leprechaun story, and, and I mean, that was like you know, uh, that's 
that that you know to me and I, I won't I'm not going to try to read much into it like uh, uh but that wasn't a, that wasn't necessarily see but that's not I don't really consider that a synchronicity that's yeah, okay me. well I'll say that's an event that that if you if you told that if you sat down at the at the uh, at a restaurant and sat across from Bud Hopkins and told him that leprechaun story Bud Hopkins would kind of give you that look and kind of like ah oh, and he would he would put that into his microprocessor and it would just come out the other end and it would just say you're an abductee. Um, I can't make that that claim at all, but I know that there's are uh, you know researchers who would hear that story, and that matches so perfectly to the to what other uh, folks are telling you know saying you know uh, little little men at the base of their bed basically little scary terrifying men. Yeah, but you know the funny thing is though is that it does match that, but by the other token, it also matches all these people who have had leprechaun encounters. And, you know, they have these, the these what, encounters. Are they the same encounter? Are they like? Are they coming? Are they welling up from the same spring? Is 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 the, are the leprechauns? I, see, I don't know, necessarily the think they are. Because uh, here's I'll take here's my take. See, on people it. want to tie them together from either end. Go ahead. I, I'm, I'm fascinated to hear this. Go ahead. No, no, no. And it, this is—it's funny. No, it's, it's, I, I actually much more engaging. I'm much more interested in like in the in the uh, whatever. I, I feel like I'm a crappy interviewer, and I'm a, I'm a better conversationalist. So, um, but uh, you know that that all throughout human history, there's been these little entities. There's been this consistent theme of leprechauns, of fairies. Of I live in 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 uh, the Rock, northern Rocky Mountains, and there's this rich tradition of the the uh, little people, and I know actually people who've seen the little people in the mountains, uh, and uh, you know they're trickster characters, and uh, you know every culture has their the angels, uh, um, and is it just I just have this sense, and I can't prove it, but I just have the sense that that uh, there's this great big closet that these little interdimensional tricksters have, you know, and then they're like, okay, the no one's going to buy the leprechaun story anymore you know no one's gonna you know no one's gonna believe me if i dress up as an angel so let me put this uh you know this uh, gray alien outfit on and see how this flies and uh, to me it seems like it's all the same phenomena all all immersed in the same you know soup that stretches way back you know that if if uh you know no one's interested at all in seeing you know a virgin mary sighting now but um you know people will people can identify and latch on to the little scientist in the metal spaceship because that in essence, is is a mythology that's that's permeating our culture right now. Well, see, personally, I don't see them as the same. I I don't. I I, I know that people will come. You know, you're sort of coming almost from both angles, trying to put them together. I I, I don't think so. like, you know, if if you do follow sort of the interdimensional theorem to its conclusion i mean you're going to look at the fact that there could be you know almost a, an infinite number of these realities that are, are kind of intersecting with us and i i the way i kind of look at it is that i look at it through a um kind of prism of what is the narrative you know i mean what is the narrative uh content and with the um, with the leprechaun stories, there are a lot of stories, uh, you know, today, still to this day, uh, particularly with people who will, will have uh, really strong uh, psychedelic drug experiences, uh, where they'll sort of uh, encounter these entities, and, and really, 
the thing that sort of brought it up to my mind and, and what I wrote about in the post is when I saw Graham Hancock do a talk on it and I was like, oh my God, he's describing these, uh, these experiences of these ay- ayahuasca shamans. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, I've been there. I know what that's like. <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah, I, I, know, I know what he's talking about. And then when I spoke about it, he got the biggest smile on his face because he's like, Oh man, yeah, that's that's par for the course, you know. And I told him that I had these high fevers, and he said, "Yeah, that's going to trip off the DMT inside your brain and all this kind of stuff." So I, I think that um, I, I don't, I don't, they don't feel the same to me, and then I don't have enough experience to to speak to it definitively. But just you know, it's just kind of a gut thing that. Uh, that there's this consistent corpus of people who have these sort of abduction experiences that, you know, I, I think could certainly be some sort of interdimensional psychic experience. And then they'll have these more, that are more hallucinatory kind of experiences with, with the little people and the leprechauns and things like that. But the thing, the thing is, is that I used to hallucinate all the time when I was, uh, uh, a kid because I'd get these really high fevers and usually I mean they were horrible uh, I would have just these horrible horrible hallucinations you know that weren't helped by the fact that I was very sick you know what I'm saying that it didn't uh, you know it didn't help matters any that you know I'm, I'm hallucinating and having these sort of bizarre visions well I'm very very uncomfortable because of my illness um, but yeah, again, I mean, I had a lot of these kind of uh, things. The, the reason I remember the uh, the leprechaun thing so well is because that was the last one I remember having. That was the last time I remember having one of these really uh, powerful, immersive hallucinations. You know, that's I was twelve, and that's the amazing thing is that I mean, the amazing thing about this is that this was as real as anything. You know what I mean? It was not a dream. I was not sleeping. I was awake. And it was vivid and clear as hell. It was not, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of um, movies and stuff sort of, you know, they get the soft focus lens out, and, you know, and they sort of, the, the smoke machines come out when they sort of do hallucinations. It wasn't like that at all. It was incredibly uh, vivid and hey, explicit. Here's, here's a question. How old are you? I'm 43. Just wondering. Yeah, so I'm not in that little window of. Uh, okay, no, I'm just wondering, but I was when you said you were 12, and I had a, a pretty darn incredibly vivid experience when I was 12. So. Yeah, well, maybe it has something to do with like you know you start in puberty and you know your body, your brain chemistry is changing, things like that. Yeah, you're you know? more receptive to it and and, uh, and such. It certainly could be, you know. But the interesting thing to me is that a lot of people will want to use certain explanations to cut to. to try and dismiss these kind of experiences and uh like the high fever say oh you had a high fever it's a, it's a hallucination well i mean basically i mean i don't sit there and tell people that you know yeah leprechauns are real i met one um i i always explain it in in the in the uh context of hallucination but by the same token um scientists don't understand hallucination they don't understand the, the mechanics of hallucination at all they don't understand why the brain perceives uh, these different realities uh, at all. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows what what this is all about? What you're tapping and into, or where where that where that that information or that imagery comes from, and 
and, and, that, and that's that's really what I look for too. Is that I look for consistency, um, and you know, consistency hopefully without the possibility of contamination. Uh, you know, because again, people can sort of read things and 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 they'll become subconsciously influenced by you know the media and things like that. And that to me is is always kind of it makes trying to pick apart all these puzzles more difficult. Um, but by the same token, uh, you know, when it goes in sort of the opposite direction and you start to see a very strong consistency and a very compelling consistency, that shows, yes, there may be this contamination, but why, why? This is, this is something that people don't really stop to think about. We are bombarded with thousands and thousands of, of images and situations and stuff in the media every day. Uh, symbols, signals, you name it. Why do certain symbols, certain situations resonate? And I, I think that, um, you know, approaching a lot of this material from a psychological or Jungian standpoint, uh, Resonance is a, is, a, is a really powerful guide um, in trying to puzzle out why certain situations and, and images and things like that, symbols particularly, will resonate with people. You know, what, a, what, a, what is the mechanic, uh, you know, the mechanics behind that? Um, and I, th I think that's something that the people who try and sort of be dismissive of you know, unusual experiences using cultural contamination, you know, they really need to answer why that particular situation, you know, why alien abduction? Um, you know, why not something else? You know, I mean, what is exactly the, the I don't necessarily want to say the appeal, but, but what creates almost this sense of of, of expectation around that particular meme or that particular situation. And, uh, you know, that's something that I use as a guide, uh, in my work. And, and actually, um, this is another thing that I want to talk about in what I do is that so much of my work, um, you know, psychology is, is really my guidepost you know, thinking about human motivation. And that's what really sort of got me onto the whole astronaut theology uh, uh, meme so strongly because I started to, to wonder why are, why is this, this idea so compelling and why do we see it encoded? You know, for instance, in Rockefeller Center with, you know, the heavenly beam coming down and Mithras and the rock and all this kind of stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, why, 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 are, why are these, these certain... Uh, themes uh, so compelling to them, um, why do they, they see themselves sort of being subject to these uh, alien progenitors, and why would they not want to present themselves as the master of, of all creation? You know, it's sort of counterintuitive. Yeah, it's very interesting, because there's this, you know, you just you told the story about the Superman and the Clark Kent being the reporter in the in this kind of you know hierarchy where where like you know if if there is this higher race out there and then then what am I I'm just like you know am I just the ant you know and they're the elephant that's going to squash me or they're they're the uh, you know this you know the super being and I'm the ant um, yeah I mean there's no real appeal 
so that's being, the funny. Except, yeah. except in the, I mean, except that people went to church for, for you know, I mean, the the, you know, the Vatican controlled that mythology for for a you know two thousand years, where it was uh you know you are subservient to this higher order that's up there in, in the heavens. But but look at the difference. You know, the higher order is this this spiritual being that that cares about you and loves you. I mean, the whole thing with uh, you know, particularly you know, people like Zechariah Sitchin is that these these beings, the Yananaki, you know, they didn't care about us at all. You know, it was just, uh, we were just their slaves. You know, uh, what's you know what's so appealing about that? And then back to back to you know, you go to a UFO conference and you sit in these abductee support group meetings and you you hear you know firsthand you know people telling from their experiences. Uh, whether they're delusional or not, I can't answer that. But they're telling from their experiences of uh, of basically being immersed in love. You know that these are these are angels here to to save us from our from our uh, you know the road we're 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 on right now as humanity. Yeah, well, I find that as as kind of uncomfortable to listen to is you know when people start talking about. You know, particularly from like a Christian standpoint, that these are the Nephilim and these are demons and all this kind of stuff. Oh, it's oh, like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, what's I, what's your proof for that? The only, uh, you know, the only real concrete evidence of of, of aliens and and, UF, and UFOs in the Bible uh, presents them as messengers of God. You know, how how do you, you know, they'll take this one passage from Genesis and sort of construct this entire sort of uh, uh, mythology around it. You know, and, and, and the thing that's strange when, when you you know when you talk to you, you're, you're I'm dealing with people who claim to have direct interaction, and that's their that's their as opposed to someone who just read you know a paragraph and got all uh, you know wiggy about it in a, in the Bible. You know these are people who are claiming to have direct interaction with these characters, with these with these entities, these visitors. I don't have a good number it's for it, but you, you sit in the you sit in the abductee support group meeting, and and it's about. 60% of the people have positive, beautiful experiences, and about 40% of the people have the Bud Hopkins scary, you know, um, little gray doctors doing hor horrifying medical experiment experiences. Well, I think the interesting thing about that, uh, and, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about this. I was just listening to my uh, interview with, with Jeremy, and it's actually one of my favorite interviews. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I was just listening to that recently. But, the, you know, I think really at the end of the day, the best outlet for, um, you know, people who've, who've had these experiences is really in support groups. It's, it's, it's really something that is, is best shared with other people who've had that experience, who have that viewpoint, because people who have not can't relate to it at all. And they might listen to you and they might be polite and everything like that, but at the end of the day, they can't really understand it, um, and and that's why I you know we saw this interesting arc where uh, uh, the abduction lore and, and things like that were, were you know uh, like you said before communion and uh, the Bud Hopkins books intruders and the John Mack book and and all these sort of things were you know very popular in the culture for for a while but basically people sort of drifted away from it, you know, not necessarily because they didn't believe it, but simply because it wasn't part of their experience. So, you know, personally, I feel that the people who, um, you know, Jeremy used the term experiencers, I, th I, th I think the best outlet for them 
is to interact with other people who can understand that. And I'll tell you, there's, because, a, there's a great deal of, of uh, comrade, you know, the comradeship in, in that circle. That was, it was really, I mean, I, I've, I've, uh, I've made a big effort to, to try to immerse myself in that circle. I make jokes. My neighbor, my neighbor comes over and she knows all about the whole, you know, what I'm going through and stuff like that. And I show her my, my email and I'm like, yeah, this is, look, these are the people I'm, you know, you know, talking to these days. And, 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 and a lot of them are folks that claim the abduction phenomena. Well, you know. You're going to get the most, uh, you know, I guess, bang for your buck by, you know, sharing these stories and, and finding commonalities and things like that, you know. Again, because it's something to me that, you know, it's not a world, you know, personally that I'm part of. And, and I'm more, I, I, don't wanna, I don't know how to put this, but I, I guess I'm more uh, open to these kind of possibilities than maybe a lot of other people are. But at the same point in time, it's like, it's just, it's not something that I have any sort of context for. Oh, and it's and it's it's almost something that's like it's impossible to have context for it by, by the mere fact. I mean, it's everything about it is 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 alien, and, and I use the term in in the you know meaning that it's that's it's hard to understand. Not that they come from yeah. the planet. Yeah. So, but it, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if this stuff sort of almost circles back into the public consciousness. That will be very interesting to see, see that happen because, you know, if these uh, stories and stuff start to strike a chord again, I, I think that will kind of tell us a lot about where we're going. Well, it's maybe they will. Maybe this, if it does come around again, I think the foundation has already been laid. There's already, there's already, you know, I think you could go to any shopping mall in America and, and sort of say to someone. Uh, you know, like, what's up with the UFO abduction phenomenon? And they'd say, like, oh, you know, they come into your room at night, and they, they, they uh, you know, that's, they're doing experiments, and, and uh, you know, they, people don't have memories. And, and so they would probably be able to, to uh, you know, hit, like, you know, a good dozen things on the checklist that are, that's just part of our pop culture. Have you seen, there's a, there's a, there's a Disney movie, it's uh, before the Pixar uh, feature films, there's a, there's a short little animation that, that will come out before, and one of them is called Taken. Hi, this is Mike, and I'm inserting this into this conversation uh, at the end while I'm editing. The, uh, the the animation I'm talking about is not called Taken. It is actually called Lifted. It's a Pixar movie from 2006. It's five minutes long, and I'll put a link to it on the blog. It's excellent. It's worth seeing. Sorry to interrupt. Bye. Animation um, before the main Disney uh, uh, animated feature. And and this movie, it's a it's a little comedy thing. It's done in computer generated animation. It's beautifully done. It's it's actually quite funny. And basically, the new alien in the uh, in the UFO trying to work the controls and abduct the guy out of his bed. You know, so there's and he's trying <laughs> no, to I haven't, I haven't seen that. Oh, I would it's unbelievable. That it's unbelievable. There's absolutely yeah. no dialogue in it, and. And, the, and no one has to sort of come on. There's no narrator that has to come on early and say, like, here, we're going to explain what this is. All of a sudden, there's a light shining in a guy's bedroom, and he starts floating up and floating towards the window. And you immediately know, like, okay, I know everyone in, a, in, the, in America that has any reference to pop culture knows exactly what's going on. It's fascinating. And, the, you know, there's all these little comedy gags where he floats towards the window and thud. He bumps into the wall next to the window. And then there's the little the little... Uh, you know the new kid on the block. You know in the in the flying saucer trying to work the controls and trying to get him out the window. 
and they milk that oh, for seven no, minutes. No, I gotta look this up. Yeah, I gotta look this I'll, up. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link. And um, okay, great. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And there's no, I mean, it is. You just said, you know, it's not. It's not in the uh, crosshairs as it might have been, you know, in the late '80s, early '90s. But it's, but it's in our foundation of 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 stuff that we just intuitively know. Well, see, the interesting thing to me, though, getting back to, you know, the kind of work I was doing on books like Spandex is that, um, you know, the whole idea of the other and the fact that, you know, the whole idea of alien other, you know, it, for years and years it sort of expressed itself as monsters and, and threatening and, you know, this really sort of starts in the late Victorian era. And then it kind of morphs into the superhero, you know, meme. You know, when you look at sort of the golden age of monster movies, Frankenstein, Dracula, The Mummy, you know, this is like the early 30s, but really what that was, was that was sort of the tail end of the uh, other as monster. And then that sort of uh, transforms itself into the superhero idea. Um, so the whole idea of, like, of, of alien and other and, and things like that, you know, um, people aren't necessarily... Uh, thinking about, you know, Bud Hopkins or Whitley Strieber or anything like that, but they are, you know, by the boatload, going to all these UFO and alien movies that are just everywhere now. Oh, and so TV shows and... So obviously all of this information is very, um, very much part of our public consciousness, probably more than ever uh, at this point in time. But the thing is, is that, Again, drawing back to this whole thing with the gods of Aquarius and UFO cults and, you know, uh, the whole Heaven's Gate thing really sort of started. Uh, people don't realize this. It started in the early 70s. It, they called themselves the two. It was Bo and Peep and all this kind of thing, all this weird sort of UFO religion and stuff. And that's sort of how it entered into the consciousness. But basically now what it is, is it's, it's part of like this conscious striving towards evolution and, and evolving into the other uh, where, you know, you go to, like, again, these uh, conventions where people are dressing up as characters and, uh, you know, all these movies, Stargate, Star Trek, you name it, Star Wars, you know, Star This, Star That. Uh, it's all about becoming alien. So what is kind of fascinating to me is that um, all these things are happening at the same time, where in a lot of ways you have this tremendous skepticism about UFOs at the same time that UFO sightings are more ubiquitous than they've ever been in our history. Uh, and then people are also beginning to immerse themselves in what I call alien identity, where they want to become aliens. They want to become uh, ETs or vampires or superheroes or whatever. People want to evolve outside of the human. They want to become the other. Uh, and it's interesting when you look at the vampire mythos, and, and that sort of ties back to these alien races that fed on human blood. And, and Whitley Strieber certainly put this into uh, the uh, Hunger novels. Um, so there's all these things going on that are so prevalent that they almost seem unremarkable in some ways. And it's, uh, it's not until, you know, people doing the kind of blogs that I do say, well, wait a minute, look, this is where this comes from, that people even begin to pay attention to it. Because, it, again, it's so ubiquitous that it's becoming unconscious. Yeah, and it's becoming unconscious. It's, it's multiplying, it feels like. And, and, and uh, you know, the conspiracy paranoid side of me 
you know, says like, are we being softened up for something? Are we being softened up for some for some grand uh, disclosure where where you know the the the, the UFO is going to land on the White House lawn, which I don't think is going to happen. But it, but there is that these puzzle pieces and seem to fit together in a way that says like, wow, this is accelerating. Is it is there some purpose to that acceleration? That's a question I can't answer, and I wouldn't want to answer either. I mean, uh, it's pe- pe- people in my line of business that make predictions always embarrass themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, you know what I mean? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I mean... It's, it's something to contemplate, and I think, and I, and I'll also say that technology is playing a big part of it. Where, um, you know, these superhero movies, which are so impressive, there was a there was a Spider-Man made-for-TV, uh, you know, movie of the week thing that I remember in the, it must have been the late seventies, uh, and it was awful. It was awful. Just you know, and they did the the, you know, sort of Batman thing where they just tilted the camera sideways and had Spider-Man climb up the wall and. And it yeah. looked ridiculous. And presently, yeah. we're in a day of of with special effects being so, you know, seamless that, um, uh, you know, I think that's that's part of the popularity of the of the uh, of the superhero film genre is that that the um, you know there's no limitations anymore. Um, these these movies can be so beautifully uh, produced. The limitation, I think, comes in the script writing, but the, uh, the you know there's there's no limitations in the uh, in the actual production quality, and I think that well, it's that, inter- oh, go on. No, I, it, it, the point I wanted to make when you talk, you know, because you talk about this whole sort of apocalyptic linear mindset, where are we leading up to this? But personally, you know, sort of being a history buff and and, and knowing sort of the implications of radical upsets and how that affects human society. Like, I kind of, you know, right now, I must say that I, I, I kind of like things the way they are. <laughs> I like being able to sort of enter and go in and out of all this information, you know, in pop culture, in speculation, in symbolism and synchronicity. You know, I'm, I'm much more comfortable in this because, you know, once, uh, once you enter into a sort of um, disclosure contact event, um, we, you know, you have no idea how that's going to go. You have no idea what direction that's going to take. Uh, and of course, this is all just blue sky stuff. But at the same time, I mean, it's like, you know, people talk about things like Project Blue Beam, where, where they would sort of fake this this alien landing and all this kind of things like that. Um, whatever whatever direction this would take, I mean, I, I don't think that that people would like it, you know, people would be comfortable with it. So I really, I like to be able to sort of go in and out of these worlds at, uh, you know, on demand, as it were, um, and sort of process this kind of stuff um, in a psychological or symbolic fashion. Um, that being said, I mean, what you know, the whole contact disclosure concept is not off the table by any means. Uh, we could be all being softened up for this. this. Maybe this is what this acceleration of all these UFO memes in, in, in popular culture are leading to. You know, we know about the Brookings Institute report. We know about all these uh, uh, reports within the government saying, you know, how people are going to react to, you know, knowledge of, of extraterrestrials, uh, you know, and 
So I think in a lot of ways these people were correct. You know, keep a lid on this stuff because uh, who knows how people are going to react to it ultimately. Oh, here, I'm just, this is, uh, I just got a, the phone rang and the answering machine just picked it up. And it's a woman who uh, I've been talking on the phone with a bunch and uh, she claims to have like these uh, abduction events. So, <laughs> so this is, sorry. I, I, well, why don't I do this? It's, we've been on the phone for about two hours now. Why don't oh my I God, let you go? I'll, I, I apologize. No. I had no idea it's been that long. Yeah. Why don't I, why don't I let you go and uh, you can talk to her. And this is this has been great, and actually, it's just been it's been a good uh, uh, overview of your stuff, and and uh, and uh, it's it's a funny thing because I can't, there's, I'm I'm definitely drawn to your to your um, uh, to your work in a way that that it's uh, it's uh, it's curious for me. I, I don't have a you know, I don't have a good way to defend or, or to articulate why I'm so so drawn to the to your blog. So, and the book. I guess well, you're not I've, alone. <laughs> I can say that you're not alone. I mean, a lot of people seem to be responding to it, and I appreciate that, and it how really many, drives do you, me. Do you keep a tab on how many people come visit your site? Yeah, yeah, I have a site meter, yeah. It's in, it's, it's in between something like 1,000 and 2,000 people a day. Wow. Great. Oh, good for you. Good. This stuff is interesting, fascinating. Hey, I'll let you go. Hey, yeah, thanks a ton. I will uh, keep you updated, and, uh, and uh, we should talk soon. Definitely. Okay. Take it easy, man. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Mike again, and I'm just doing a little follow-up at the end of this MP3. Uh, somewhere in there I said I'm not a good interviewer, um, but I am a good conversationalist, and I think that's true. Uh, I really don't have any desire to try to interview anyone. It doesn't appeal to me at all, but I do like to talk to people. Um, I'm just shocked at how much we have in common, uh, Chris and I. Uh, it's funny that we lived, or I lived in, in uh, 28th Street, and he was working at the Empire State Building on the 33rd Street side of the building. Uh, and so there must have been a bunch of years there in the late 80s where uh, those two buildings faced each other. I could have easily, you know, sat at my desk and waved out my window, and, and he could have waved out his window, and we, we easily would have seen each other. Um, yeah, five blocks apart isn't much. Uh I also want to add that, that one of the things that I wish I had pressed him on, and, and maybe I will someday, is that he is documenting his own set of of uh, synchronicities. And uh, he, he talked about a, a giant file. He even used the term tens of thousands of synchronicities. Boy, uh, there's going to be a day where I'm going to bug him and and, uh, and try to take a peek at some of the stuff in that file. This, this is the kind of thing that just, just fascinates me. And uh, I also want to say that I'm impressed with the fact that he he won't come to any conclusion. He talked um, a lot about questioning things and how that is a completely appropriate and actually a desirable place to be. And I have to I have to agree with him there. Um, uh, and that's not, I didn't come to this conclusion logically. It just is the way my gut feels. Uh, uh, there's been a lot of pressure for me to say things. Uh, more concretely, and I just can't. I just can't, and I just won't. Hey, uh, this has been a long, a long session, and I want to end it here. The fellow's name is Christopher Knowles. I'm super impressed with him. If you if you uh, want, you can follow up and and uh, search out his blog. It's called The Secret Sun. Uh, super easy to Google, and I'll have a link on on the blog on my blog. Um, 
if anyone actually listened to this thing, I got to thank you. Uh, you. You've shown a great deal of patience by sitting through all the way to the end of this. Bye now. Bye.